We plan to talk through the issues faced by startup founders and the people close to them. That overused phrase, work-life balance. It is an amazingly focusing time. This is what we do, you know, aside from our families, this is our whole work life. I'm also known as Dr. Wine. or her significant other would both get value from the episode. So I'm here with my friend, Jason Glassby. Is it Glassby or Glassby? Glassby. Glassby. That's what I thought. Rob and I have this conversation sometimes. What is that guy's name? Okay. Jason Glassby, who is a fellow entrepreneur and a parent of two boys and also the curator of a website, which I think is fantastic called Mostly Proud Parents. So Jason and I are going to have a bit of a conversation about how to like stay sane with your children over Christmas or over the holiday break. Because I don't know if, if you guys are anything like me, but I have all of these like great ambitions about lovely experiences with my kids over the holidays. And we decorated our tree last year. And after like the... Or I'm sorry, last week. And after like the third broken ornament and cleaning up glass shards from the floor. I was like, everyone sit down, sit down, sit down now. <laughs> and I called like timeout on tree decorating. And I was like, nobody move. And it was not like the idyllic Christmas moment that I was hoping for. Oh my God. Does that ever happen to you? I, I, you, you are, I respect you so much, Sherry. So it helps me as a parent to know that like you don't live in an idyllic world with perfect kids and perfect moments and perfect memories. I, I'm a total disaster in junk show 99% of the time. Anytime I'm around children, worst case, my, my own. So yeah, that happens. And I think, I think in some ways we get a little bit set up to fail because, you know, there's, again, this pressure internally and externally imposed to have these positive holiday experiences. But yet, if you think about the holidays, it's like tons of sugar. Everybody's staying up late. There's all these like strange relatives around. Like it's, it's kind of like the recipe for dysregulated whiny kids. Absolutely. We had Thanksgiving recently and our kids were way more screen time than normal because they were with their cousins who were on iPads because they weren't at their house and they didn't know where to be. And after all the food and like three late nights in a row, like the kids were being, they were good, but it was just, it was chaos, mayhem. And the idea of control or calmness that the things that, you know, we aspired towards were just like impossibilities. I totally blame like Hallmark for all of this, by the way. Like, I feel like (laughs) 50 years ago, we probably didn't have these expectations or, I mean, I don't know, like did people ever actually really sit quietly around a radio or do we just see like, like memories of those times, like depictions of these moments that then get locked away that we compare life to. But those weren't really happening then. It's like, I I imagine that it was chaos then, but the depictions, they were very careful about what they showed in public then. The public story. Yeah, they didn't have social media. We didn't know that like everything was going to hell constantly. One of the things that I like about your work with Mostly Proud Parents. I know your wife, Holly, is part of your team and then our mutual friend, Chris. And then you have a couple of other experts and, and I don't know, thought leaders, people who are thinking about parenting and, and family life. 
But anyway, one of the things that I like about your site is that you really are working to dispel some of those, everybody's got it perfect. If your kids aren't, you know, absolutely well-behaved and well-dressed and never dirty, like you're, you're just telling the real story beyond, I think, sort of the Facebook highlight reel that many of us put forward about our family life. Yeah, man. I, I get a little bit nauseous, like throwing up in your mouth just a little bit. Every time I look at these mommy blogs, they're just like, the table set beautifully. All the kids' toys are organized and in bins. And I'm just like, that's fiction. That is total fiction. And if it's not, you either have three maids or all you do is take is write about your blog and set up that corner of the house. Right. That's not actually where your kids play. That's like, those are your toys. Yeah. It's like the room that like it used to be that you had like the sitting room without the TV and the awkward, com- uncomfortable chairs and the weird like thing on the table. And like, everyone's like, oh, you can't go in that room. I had so many friends growing up where my, they were like, oh yeah, mom doesn't let us go in that room. It's just supposed to look nice and be the first thing people see when they walk in the house. I understand that now though. Like when I was a kid, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so strange that you have this room you can't go in. Cause we didn't have a house big enough for that. It was like, we all occupied all of the corners of the, our house. Absolutely. Yeah. Me too. But now that I'm a parent, I'm like, oh, you can't, you cannot bring your things in this space. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Bring your things other places, but not in this space. <laughs> but even the, even the parents I can remember, like never use the space. Yeah. They only went in there to dust. <laughs> sure. Because if you have children who are not self-regulated enough or qualified to be in the forbidden room, then nor can they be alone in the rest of the house. So it's not like the parents can <laughs> hang out in the, the great parent space because you know that, that your children are like wreaking havoc in some other corner. So anyway. Do you have a story of like ever doing something and coming out and seeing like, oh my God, what, what have you done? Like you hear stories about people with like Sharpies and or... Like I came down the other day and my kids had gotten chalk wet, like sidewalk chalk and painted their bodies green with it and were acting like zombies. And they were covered in this green chalk. And it, it was kind of funny. And my wife has done a great job of tuning me down to being like, yep, that's great. I'm not cleaning it up, but you're going to get in the tub in a minute and you're going to get in the tub. But I was just like, just minutes ago, they were normal kids and now they're literal zombies. Yeah, no, we have many, many stories like that, probably due to lack of supervision. But one of my favorites is my younger son at one point took the Sharpie, classic Sharpie story, and wrote all over the wall in our dining room when he was maybe three. But you know what he wrote, Jason? He drew a picture of me and surrounded it by hearts and wrote mom. And I was like, I'm keeping that forever. (laughs) (laughs) You can't paint over that. So he like knows, I think he learned at that young age, like this, these are the shenanigans I can get up to, but this is how I have to solidify my gene pool by staying alive long enough that I can draw on the wall with Sharpie as long as I give some shout outs to my mama. <laughs> a little bit, of, a little bit of ass kissing there, but you know, that that's a, that's a practical life skill. It worked. The other thing that they did recently was, well, this was, I guess, a month, maybe six weeks ago when we had our first snowfall here in Minnesota. And for some reason, they wanted to make colored snow. So they drag the kitchen like stepladder out of the pantry, across the kitchen, climb up on it, find a box of food coloring, 
and take it downstairs and are dumping it all over the snow. But of course, it gets all over their hands, all over their shoes, all over every piece of them that they then track back into my house, back up the stairs, back through my kitchen. And yeah, they are. They're lucky they're alive still, actually. (laughs) Oh my God, I don't want to get started with food coloring. For some reason, my wife thought it was a great idea on more than one occasion to let my youngest son who's in the bathtub have a squirt bottle and then she colored the water in the squirt bottle with food coloring and i'm like holly there's orange dripping from the ceiling now and then it dried <laughs> and we just have this like orange marks on the ceiling the walls and so i spent like you know half hour cleaning it all up and then you know a month later i come in and there's calvin in the tub with the squirt bottle and orange water again and i'm just like, it's like holly forgot no no and she's like, it's not that big of a deal. I'm like, it's still on there from last time. <laughs> not if we paint our ceiling orange, it's not. <laughs> fair, fair. He just needs to get more coverage. So food coloring comes up for us around the holidays because we do have a tradition of making the cutout Christmas cookies. And it's another moment where I have to really manage my anxiety and perfectionism because once you, once you set the kids out and everybody gets like five butter knives and five bowls of colored frosting, and then they get 10 cookies and they just go to town and make what they want to make. But there is frosting from the ceiling. There's frosting in every like, every like crevice of their bodies and all over my kitchen. And you know, my oldest is 12. I don't know how this still happens, but it still does somehow. <laughs> Do, do they, are they like fighting and grabbing and throwing or is there, is it just literally the, their arms are moving so fast that it's, it's just like a flywheel shooting out oil or something? So they'll fight over any sprinkles. The sprinkles are the hot commodity. Uh-oh. So we have to have a system mm. to regulate this, this sprinkle use. Yeah. All right. What are your thoughts on glitter? I have, I get triggered by glitter. Yeah. When I saw my wife playing with glitter with the boys and I don't have any problem with glitter as a thing. Like it's not a masculine or a feminine thing. It's just a thing, but I am so horrified of glitter being all over my life that because it doesn't rub off that stuff with you until you die. It's true. Yeah. I am delicately pro glitter in confined situations. Okay. So glitter is fabulous in the backyard when you can hose the child and the table and the whole, all the surfaces off. Glitter in the house, that's, that's more risky for sure. It's a summertime activity. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you about your Christmas tree. Is Christmas tree, is acquiring the Christmas tree a, um, a thing for you, like your family? It's funny that you ask about this because we actually have some significant Christmas tree issues in our okay. in our family. So Rob did not grow up with a Christmas tree because his parents raised Sharpay, Chinese Sharpay, dogs. So they would have like eight dogs in their house at any given time, which is not really conducive to a Christmas tree. Okay, hold on a second. We're burying the lead here. Rob grew up with Sharpays underfoot just everywhere. Is that? <laughs> All the time. I wonder if that's why he's so light on his feet. He's so flexible. He just tolerates whatever chaos. So anyway, no Christmas tree. Okay. I grew up where like we went into the mountains. We would go up like near Mount Lassen and like hike through the woods and get a permit and cut our own tree like from the forest, strap it on the minivan and drive it home and decorate it. It was a very, it was a very special thing. So Rob and I meet, we marry... We begin our family together. And from like day one, we have Christmas tree issues. Like the Christmas tree has fallen off the car on numerous occasions. 
<laughs> Rob gets super, super frustrated <laughs> about the Christmas tree because it, you know, it makes a mess. It drops needles. Like it's just not his thing. One year he got really fed up with the Christmas tree drama that he was like, I am going to get a fake tree. And I was like, okay, like I love you enough that we can have a fake tree. So he gets this fake tree and if you've ever had one, like they're not that easy to set up. Like they're still a deep time investment. So he sets up the fake tree, gets it all going, plugs it in. There's a strand of lights that don't work right in the middle of the fake tree. He's like, can we just turn this to the back? And I'm like, no, 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 no. If we're going to fake tree, like it's going to be lit evenly and fully and completely. So Rob has a degree in electrical engineering and he was like, I can fix this. So he rewires the tree. <laughs> And it works for like 90 minutes and then it doesn't work anymore. So he has blown like an entire Saturday on this fake tree before he like in a fit of like Tourette's like swear words, throws it in a box, takes it back to the store, comes back with the real Christmas tree that I asked for in the first place. (laughs) Yeah. So the other thing about us and Christmas trees and I'll stop... I didn't realize that this was a therapy session for me. Oh my God, keep going. This is The other thing about Christmas trees is once you have kids, they like to make, we have very creative artistic kids and they like to make things for the tree. And one year they made all of these paper ornaments that were Angry Bird themed. This was the year that Angry Birds was cool. But they're like six inches around. They're cute in like a kid way, but they're also kind of ugly and they're giant. And I'm like, I actually don't want them on my tree. I don't want my tree covered with your paper video game crap. So (laughs) we instituted the tradition of two trees. No way. Because my husband wasn't frustrated enough with the tree situation. So I have like a proper Christmas tree that has white sparkly lights and silver and white ornaments. It's covered with pretty snowflakes. It's lovely. And then my kids have a smaller tree that's like three and a half, four feet tall that they can put whatever they want on. So there's a Christmas squid. There are things made of Legos. Any package that we get that has a ribbon on it gets thrown on the tree. It's like Christmas vomited all over that tree. And it's actually really pretty. (laughs) It has its charm. Yeah, in its own way. So anyway, that was a lot of information about Christmas trees. Sorry, Zenfounder audience. Um, how about you? Do you have tree issues or you know, am I just am I alone? Part of the reason I brought it up is because so we I live in Oregon, about an hour outside of Portland and Hood River, and we're kind of in the mountains. You know, we're right at the base of Mount Hood, and they don't even have Christmas tree farms here because everyone just goes in the woods and gets a tree. And like you said, they buy the permit, they do it all correct. So we tried it one year. And I, after like an hour of being like, what about this tree? And I was like, nope. What about this tree? Nope. We left and bought a tree at a lot on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, you know, we, we ended up going to Seattle and Eugene to see our families over Christmas. So we never actually even at our house on Christmas day. So then my wife was like, should we even have a tree? And I'm like, no, we got to have a tree. It's, you know, we have kids. This is like, you got to at least see the tree. We got to like establish the house as Christmas time. But I'm like, but I could give two craps how we acquire the tree. And so like now my wife always wants to have all these big plants and these things, but it's just, oh my God, we have two sons, four and six, and they're amazing little guys. But I can just see that like, there's going to be so much crying. 
from me and maybe from them that like, I'm like, no, we're just going to, we're going to go buy a tree at a lot. We're going to put it up and we're going to have some hot chocolate and we're going to decorate it. And that's going to be it. And I still feel guilt and they're like, I'm not doing it right because I'm not giving them this like um, epic adventure to get the tree. But it's like, man, I know that that's not going to be fun for anybody. And we're going to remember it maybe as suffering and maybe it will be nice memories, but instead let's go to the pump track and ride our bike for an hour and then just get a, a tree at the lot and do the things that we know we're okay with. And I've really been working on just accepting that, that, Hey, just because Hallmark says we should go cut it down and have the special moment doesn't mean that I'm like, that's a requirement for good parenting. As long as there's hot chocolate, I think you're in the clear. Totally. Right. And boozy hot chocolate for the adults. <laughs> so my kids really like advent calendars and we practice advent. Like we light a candle each Sunday as we lead up to the Christmas season. It, it's a little bit of a, you know, a, a spiritually rich tradition for our family. It's one of the few things that we do that's very sort of traditional in that way. But they get into advent and they want the countdown. And so of course, Lego makes a countdown advent calendar. So we, everybody has one of those. So they wake up in the morning and they go check their advent calendar and they're like putting together Legos when I'm like, guys, guys, it's time for breakfast. The bus is coming. You just put the advent calendar down. Like no Legos for you. Like we have to go. So whatever joy they are experiencing in, <laughs> hooray, what did I get in my advent calendar this, this day as I count down towards Christmas gets sort of undermined by me being like, we got two minutes, two minutes to the bus. <laughs> so we're not even doing that very well. Okay, two things that use this, a little bit of technology that I we have instituted at our house. My wife likes to wake up and have the Christmas tree already lit and shining when she walks out and she wants to go to bed with it lit and shining. So we have a timer on it and we got one of those Wemo switches and it's great. And also at 11.30 when it turns off, that's the shame on you. You should already be in bed. You're not supposed to see the light go off warning. So we watch that happen every night and feel bad. But then for the mornings, we have a, a Sono system and I have it set to play the final countdown by Europe. The last five minutes before they need to be at the door with their jackets on and their shoots and their backpacks. So when they hear that, if you don't have your shoes on, you get your shoes on. If you don't have your backpack or your jacket, the final countdown comes on throughout the whole house. And it's like, oh, shoot, time to go. We are implementing that right away. We're still we're still working on total compliance, but at least everyone knows that like, yes, oh, okay, it is 7.20. It is time to be at the door. Yeah. And I really, I really just love hearing Final Countdown every morning. I think that is a great intervention. It's so much nicer than two minutes, two minutes yeah. when your mom is like shrieking from downstairs. I feel like that lady behind like this the curtain at a you know a play. Places, everybody, where the hell are you? you know, trying to find out where people are, shoving people out the door, have the clipboard in my hand. Which is sort of the role of a parent. Yeah. Yeah. So I brought up advent calendars because I brought up this sense of like waiting and waiting for Christmas or whatever holiday that you celebrate, anticipating that it's coming. And you are working on a story or are soon to be releasing a story about that very problem of waiting over and over. I wanted like Groundhog's Day meets Christmas Eve. Walk me through this. Yeah. So one of the things we're doing at Mostly Proud Parents is our goal is to actually make parenting slightly more enjoyable for parents, for the parents' sake. And so one of the things that I love doing is telling my kids nighttime stories. 
And I just make them up on the fly. But I was an English major, journalism major, did a bunch of story writing. So that's something that comes fairly naturally to me. But I have friends who've been like, oh, how do you do that? And I started writing, looking for ways to help parents tell nighttime stories easier. And so one of my ideas was to come up with like great movies that we all love as adults that maybe aren't necessarily perfect for kids, but we can twist them that way. So I wrote a story called 6 a.m. on Christmas Eve, and it's the story of Groundhog's Day, but a kid who's you know maybe eight years old waking up every morning, and it's still Christmas Eve, and his cousins come over, and all these things happen, and he can't get out of the rut, and he's always a brat, and all these things, and then finally, after time, he learns, like, oh, hey, my family's actually kind of cool. When I, when I engage with them, it's kind of fun, and we, he helps sing Christmas carols at the end instead of going to bed early, and, and then finally, spoiler alert, he wakes up and it's Christmas morning. I'm really glad to hear that because the first time I heard you describe this, I thought this is the worst night. Like you're going to give all the children nightmares by Christmas Eve forever. So I'm glad Christmas comes eventually. The first time I told it to my kids, I was kind of watching, waiting to see like, would they understand that like, hey, the narrative plot line, the storyline had uh, shifted, you know, that the the timeline was repeating. Would they understand that from a concept? Because I don't know if they'd ever experienced even time travel before. But now we've watched Back to the Future, so we're better. Okay, good. They're equipped. But so I, w- I was telling him, and like on the on the third morning that he wakes up and it's still Christmas Eve, uh, my oldest, who's six, just goes like, he just kind of gets somber for a second. He's like, Dad, what's happening? Why isn't it Christmas? And he was like getting scared for the kid. And I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. Just, just listen. <laughs> and it was just funny, like, you could see they they were super engaged. It had them wrapped simply because they were like so emotionally connected to this poor kid who couldn't get to Christmas and they were feeling for him, which I don't know, maybe taught him some empathy or something, but it was, it was one of my more fun stories. Um, and we're actually, we're going to release that next week for parents to be able to tell their kids as well. Awesome. And that people can pick that up at mostly proud parents. Dot com. Dot com. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you have favorite holiday memories that stand out to you as a kid? You know, one of my best just wintertime memories was my aunts and cousins and whole family lived across the street from us growing up. And when it would the first snow of the year, we would all like my parents would get us up at like two in the morning or whatever time it was. And we'd all get together and go for a long walk and have a big snowball fight in the middle of the night and come back, go to bed and most likely it wasn't going to be school in the morning. So we slept in and then got back together and had snowball fights again. And that was like incredibly powerful for me. Like I have deeply loved snow my whole life because of those memories. Um, The only tattoo I have is a snowflake. I am a precious snowflake. You are precious. When are you going to come visit us in Minnesota? (laughs) How brave are you about snow? (laughs) Well, it's funny. I love snow, but now I avoid it. I, 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 I winter, I, I snowbird a little bit. I run from the snow. You live in Oregon and then you, you winter in Mexico. And I'm, I can't tell if you've made all the right choices in your life. Or <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I just, I'm a man who's made to wear flip flops. That's just, that's, that's my, that's my happy place. So. I love that memory though. Cause there's that sense of like, of getting up in the middle of the night and sort of the, like the forbidden hour of like, Oh, we're awake when no one else is awake. The world is ours. And then being able to do that with your family and have the, the snowball fight and the, the connection to them is really cool. 
Yeah. And even now, like the first time it snows, I'll usually like, you know, we'll all send pictures to each other in our family text thread, like whenever anyone gets snow for the first time in the year and be like, snow. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool. Is that a, hot, or a winter tradition you're rolling forward with your boys? You know, probably this year we had a, just a light dusting that kind of didn't count. And we didn't even know till the morning. But, you know, if I saw some, some big flakes coming down, I would, I would definitely pull them up. That's cool. Are there other traditions that you love to share with them? Or are you mostly just trying to stay alive? <laughs> Sometimes you have to be really purposeful about traditions. It's really easy to just not do things or do things that are important to you, but then kind of forget to like, hey, did I ever step back and think about like, what is the full scope of this that I could be missing? Where are the opportunities that... I'm trying to think of an example... Because I was thinking about this the other day, some family was doing something and I was just like, oh my gosh, I've never even considered doing that with my kids, but it's a totally normal thing to do. And oh, I wish I could remember what it was. Uh, I mean, I guess it'd be similar to bathing. Bathing, yes. We, we bathe. Brushing right teeth. The, it's just by chance, <laughs> if water falls on you, it counts, <laughs> which actually happens a lot more often than you'd think in a house. In Oregon, yeah, yeah you guys. Keep it smelling good. <laughs> it's piney. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it is helpful to chat about some of these things because I think the holidays can be yet another opportunity for people to feel like they're doing it wrong. And, you know, I talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but it can be a more stressful time than we give it credit for. Whenever there's this kind of external expectation of happiness, it can be a time when people feel lonely, when people miss family members that they aren't with or that have passed on. It can be a time when, again, kids are just like a little bit dysregulated and edgy and you're like stuck with them every day for two weeks. I mean, I love my children, but sometimes it's, it's certainly a tricky time of year in some unexpected ways. Yeah. Me and my wife are still together, the mother of my children. And so there's not a tremendous amount of like, we're going to go to my parents and then we're going to go to her parents. And then the next year is going to be the reversed. But I, I really like, I can't even imagine, you know, in situations where parents are no longer together, they're going back and forth. Then there's each sets of grandparents from each sets of parents that they now have and the balance of all that. Like that gets me super stressed out just thinking about it. Because it's hard to balance just two sets of parents. And both my parents and my wife's parents are still together. So we really only have two houses we have to visit. And that is has already so much like planning and organization and and making sure, oh, where's my, when my cousins are going to be there on this day from this hour to this hour. Like that's the part that like is really hard for me is the expectation to make visual, physical like contact with your family over the holidays, despite the fact that the weather's terrible, it's dark the whole time, it's constantly pouring rain in Oregon. Flights are expensive if you don't live down the street, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, like my parents are three hours, four hours away, and my wife's parents are four hours away. So no matter what, we're driving four hours. And that's great that we can get there in a weekend, but it also creates the, well, then you should probably be here expectation. If you were like, no, we're staying home this year, the in-laws, well, all the grandparents might be kind of like, what? Why? Yeah. They would understand, yeah. but we wouldn't, we wouldn't get a lot of points. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. And again, like I, we have a very easy, I just like, it truly, I have so much empathy for the people who like have all that other stuff cast upon them. What in what's supposed to be this like, you know, time of celebration and togetherness and intimacy, it, it becomes expectations and duty and running late and buying things that you know that nobody really wants, but it it's the right amount of money that you're supposed to spend. And yeah, it's weird. I think it's, it's so important to be intentional about choosing those kinds of activities and moments that really do bring you joy as a parent or your family joy as a family. And I know for us, like I love watching the Christmas story. <laughs> I love watching that movie. And we watch it at least once, maybe more than that, but like pile everybody on the couch and it's popcorn and hot chocolate. And we watch that movie. And there are lots of like cozy moments. I, I also love the conversations with my kids about being generous and finding a family in need that we can contribute to. And we also like, you know, we make those Christmas cookies and then we do take a plate to our neighbors with a candle or some little gift. And I think those are really sweet experiences to have as a family where you're, you're just practicing teaching your kids how to be nice to others and connect with people in the neighborhood. And those are important memories that we're making and conversations that we're having. Do you have other things that you really kind of save it for you or help you connect with the season with your kids? That's a good question. We have an, uh, an advent calendar, but my wife's always kind of taken the lead on that, which is weird that I've for some reason chosen to opt out of really participating in it. It wasn't ever really intentional. She kind of designed, she's a designer, so she kind of created this thing and and then she was doing it with the kids. And I was just like, oh, cool. But I always, I, I think that's one of those examples where I didn't ever purposefully choose to not participate. But pretty soon I realized that they were doing it without me. And then I was like, well, okay, I'll let them. And honestly, that's fine. I'm going to go to the bathroom for a few minutes while they're, <laughs> while they're eating their Andy's chocolates. Keep it yeah. real. <laughs> uh, time to like five minutes for dad. Great. Right. Peeing without friends. <laughs> always good. Oh my God. <laughs> Just, just 30 seconds, guys. 30 seconds. Yep. I'll be right back. <laughs> there, aren't a, there aren't enough locks in the world. But in general, I think one of the things we really try to keep our kids, like one of the things we're working on this year is just thankfulness instead of asking. And Chris, one of our editors at the Most Proud Parents, who's just a savant with kids, he is, I've never seen anyone interact with kids the way he does or and then also be able to explain how and what and why and he's had just a profound impact on the engagement and relationship I have with my kids so I'm super stoked that he get I get to work with him and basically what I get to do is say I'm having a problem here how do we solve this and then he's like oh well, that's easy just do this I'm like write that down and then we have an article and then we're gonna put it on our site yeah <laughs> And so one of the things we wrote last or he wrote last week that we instituted immediately was the thankful jar and just putting a jar in a very public place in the house, a little bag of marbles next to it and going up and being like, I am thankful for blank because of blank. And he was really clear that like the because is important because it makes people actually say more about it to think about it and actually to like conceptualize the thankfulness versus just, oh, I'm thankful for candy. But like to come up with a because causes just that extra step that makes it a little bit more tangible. And his advice was like, don't tell your kids to do it, just do it. 
And he's like, watch, they will want to participate. They will want to put a marble in the jar. So they'll do what you're doing. And obviously it might not work with an 18 year old, but it worked with my four and six year old. And so since that, it's just been so much easier to say thankful statements. And they have been really like, as soon as I say one, they're like got two or three in their pocket. And, you know, sometimes it's like, I'm thankful for mom because she sometimes doesn't make this for dinner. I think that's what Calvin said yesterday. He was like, he didn't like the dinner, but he was like, I'm thankful that you don't always make this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that was hilarious. But we've tried to really use that this year to be like, hey, let's talk about thankfulness and let's appreciate these things that we have and not just look forward to more. Yeah. And I, I would be very surprised if that doesn't become a, a ten, next 10 years of Christmas time. Part of your life. Yeah. It's a nice framing for the holiday season too, as you think about Thanksgiving. Not that I, I hear that this isn't just a, a holiday event, but it, it can be a practice that you are intentional about around Thanksgiving. And if you carry that through and it's a neat sort of framing of it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about my Christmas tree issues. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, I honestly think we have more to uncover, but... Oh, there are, actually, there are many more stories. The number of like F-bombs that have been dropped in our living room, like uh, 75% of them are Christmas tree related, probably. Are they more from you or from Rob? Oh, they're from Rob. <laughs> He's such a, he presents himself so calm and relaxed and kind and gentle. He is. The Christmas tree is his Achilles heel. <laughs> It's his Achilles heel. I called seven places to try to get a tree delivered this year as like an act of grace and love towards my husband. And I, of course, called too late and it didn't get done. And Home Depot only delivers trees that are six feet. And like, who needs a six foot tree? We have like nine foot ceilings. We need a nine foot tree. Like, so anyway, I tried this year to alleviate that suffering for him and it didn't work and he had to go get a tree anyway. But you got to task rabbit that. We're still married. I know. I know. I'm going to solve the problem for next year. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad that, I'm glad that you're, you're working through solutions. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Mostly proud parents. Check out on Monday, right? Monday is when your story of the Christmas groundhog goes live. Yeah. December 17th. December 17th. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> now you've said it publicly. So you're, you have to, you got to ship. Yeah, I'm a fan of what you and Holly and the team are doing. And I think it's just helpful to bring a little bit more sanity to all of us who have busy lives, but especially a lot of the entrepreneurs I know who are really like burning the candle from both ends most of their life. And to have something that just helps alleviate some of the pressure and provides helpful resources that are like easy to do and don't require a glue gun, I think is really a great thing that you're putting out there in the world. Glue guns are another trigger of mine. They freak me out. Yeah. If you do anything with a glue gun, like I'm out. <laughs> My wife loves them. So those are her activities. Okay. Right, well, thanks so much for having me on, Terry. Hi, Zen Founder people. So thanks everyone for listening to my uh, Christmas tree drama and to Jason and I commiserating about some of the challenges of parenting around the holiday season. Right after we ended our conversation on the podcast, Jason mentioned that the Mostly Proud Parents site is dropping what, 14 miracles of Christmas or what, 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 it, what are you doing that we need to know about? It's tentatively called the 14 Christmas miracles. 
with the idea being if you can get along with your kids every day it's a christmas miracle and so we're putting together 14 activities that we'll email out every day of the christmas break so probably starting on like the 22nd or 3rd or whatever the saturday is and just i don't i don't even know if there's 14 days between when school gets out and starts again but it just sounded good so we're going to do 14 activities the um they're focused on things that you don't really need any to buy or very inexpensive items so that they should be very simple and we'll also like have like ahead of time here's everything you might need so if you don't have borax at your home get some on amazon and get them sent but for the most part and it'll be a variety of ages and we'll try and make it so people can you know tune up or two down based on their kids but yeah just a little something so if you're out of ideas you can just open your email and oh yeah i can do that that's that's a half an hour and we connected and now i feel like a parent i think that's awesome i think when you have those like little challenges of things that are easy to do together and they take up time and they become this sort of shared adventure as long as they're not like a ton of glitter and glue guns then i think it's going to be an it's going to be a great gift i might need to actually tell chris no glitter and glue guns that's, <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a hard <laughs> that's, no that's, that's just a scary problem so <laughs> all right